I'm Carrington Vanston. And I'm the sick voice of Mike McGinnis. The sick, sick voice. And this is No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Indeed. Hello, sick Mike. Yeah, yeah, as, as I'm sure you can tell, my, my voice uh, hasn't just gone to a deep, sexy level for no reason. Um, I've been pretty sick all week. It's gone to a deep, sexy level for a good reason. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah so feeling fine. Feeling fine, though. We are recording later than usual because poor Mike is sick. Yeah, I, I I actually feel a lot better than I sound, I think. I'm sure that's not helping our listeners, so I'll probably let you do most of the talking. I'm sure that'll be a huge problem for you. But. <laughs> it might be because I don't know a lot about this game. Yeah, me um, either. It's crazy. Yes, but we can go to our feedback first. Okay. okay. Um, we got very little, and as far as I can tell, nobody guessed what this week's game is. Well, it doesn't surprise me. Um, this week's game, of course, is a Colony 7. I'm sure all of you out there knew that. Uh, <laughs> it, it was a an early Taito title. Um, I think it came out in 81, just after Missile Command. And it's, and we'll, we'll get to the details in just a minute, though. Um, I did get a couple of uh, tweets um, at uh, No Quarter Show on Twitter, but they weren't related to this game. Uh, Yesterbits mentions... Um, he loved Sammy Lightfoot. He hadn't thought of that game for ages. Uh, my rose colored memory of it is positive. That was a, an, an <laughs> Apple. For those who don't remember, that was an Apple II game uh, that sort of resembled Circus Charlie a little bit in that they were both circus themed games. Uh, Daniel McLaughlin, uh, aka Ion Farmer, on Twitter tweeted uh, catching up uh, with No Quarter Show, and the Beepers reference reminded me of the Bishop of Battle for some reason. Oh, I don't know that. What's the Bishop of Battle? He sent us a YouTube link. He did? Oh, I should read my email. <laughs> well, it's, it's Twitter, actually. Woohoo! Look, it's a YouTube link. <laughs> Emilio Estevez. Becomes so good at a video game that the game comes to life to collect him. What? Uh, awesome. What awesome, madness awesome, is this? Awesome. That happens to me all the time. It looks like there's actually three parts uh, to the video on YouTube. Each one looks to be shorter than 10 minutes. Uh, I was sick enough this week that I haven't had time to check this out, um, but I plan to. Speaking of sick, this is sick. This is <laughs> awesome. I am very excited to watch this. Me too. Yeah, so we'll probably have a, a more to say about it next week. <laughs> this looks awesome. So, yes, Bishop of Battle, I will be watching you immediately after we record. That looks <laughs> fantastically 80s. Love it. Love it. Yeah. A few people commented on Facebook about Circus Charlie. Randall Gelking said that he has Circus Charlie on a Konami arcade collection for the Nintendo DS. Didn't play it very much. Uh, never saw it in the actual arcade. Uh, Vic Sage, looks like he echoes uh, Randall's sentiment. He hadn't seen that before. Um, Louis, Burr, Louis Burmeister uh, also had a, uh, played this for the first time in his, in his main cabinet after we talked about it. So it, it seems like Circus Charlie was another kind of obscure title that not a lot of people had seen before. Well, I'm very glad that we introduced it to people because then that's an obscure title that is worth playing. So I'm sure that people have enjoyed it because I really dug playing that game. It was fantastic. So um, I'm, I'm glad that we've been able to bring it into the lives of others. Yeah, me too. Oh, and... Um, did we talk about the podcast worth watching? 
last time? No. Talk about it. Talk about it now. Tell me stories, Mike. Tell me uh, stories. Well, Rob O'Hara posted that uh, we recently made uh, author Doug McCoy's podcast worth watching list. Oh, nice. Yeah. Podcast so. worth listening, I would think. Yeah, but he said podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. Podcast worth catching. <laughs> Um, and we had actually talked about his book, Arcadian, previously. We did. In yes. fact, I think we mentioned. And then subsequently, I was catching up on Rob's own podcast. He had the, the same complaint about the Amazon one-star review that that book got um, that I had had, that it was a completely unreasonable review. So I'm hoping yes, that I some agree. new ones have been added to Amazon because I was yep. affronted. I was affronted <laughs> on behalf of the author. So thank you for the mention, Doug. Um, and we love you, too. We do. We have lots of love, which is why uh, Mike has been picking up diseases. That's right. <laughs> All the love he spreads. It's a social thing. We won't go into it. <laughs> oh, we'll go into it. <laughs> my tell-all book will be coming hey, out at the end of the summer. This is a, this is a family-friendly podcast. Okay, my tell-some book will be coming out at the end of the summer. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, onward and upward. Upward. Upward, you say? We're going I upward do. into space. In space this week. Space with Colony 7, a game I think I had never, ever, ever even heard of before. <laughs> so, good choice, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, Colony 7 is, yeah, another game that uh, apparently nobody's heard of. It's, and and I, this one makes sense to me because it's uh, a pretty clear ripoff of Missile Command, only without the trackball. You actually play this game with a joystick. Uh, the appeal here was that instead of um, Missile Command, where you only have uh, the one weapon to fire at incoming missiles, this one you have up to three different, uh, ex they call it the expanded weaponry, uh, three different choices of ballistic, whatever you want to call them, to fire at aliens that are coming at you in waves of up to 30 at a time. Oh, aliens, they're always attacking us. They are. Will they never learn their lesson? Did space <laughs> invaders teach them nothing? <laughs> so the object of Colony 7, um, Colony 7 is the most distant Earth deep space colony, and it's under attack. Oh, no. Colony consists of three fuel bases, a spaceport laboratory. So basically you've got a, a little city at the bottom of the screen, similar to Missile Command, and it's it's protected by an ion, ion shield. Which is basically like a little colored horizontal rainbow that just goes across the screen. Right, and it gets chipped away as these aliens fly in and shoot it, uh, shoot away at it. Um, and you also have two antimatter cannons on either side of the screen. It's a little bit different because in in Missile Command you've got that third one in the middle that shoots f uh, faster. But this, the gameplay itself is pretty similar. It's Missile Command. It's total <laughs> Missile Command ripoff. It really is. <laughs> yep. It really yeah, is completely. Or at least it's uh, heavily inspired by Missile Command. Yes. And they thought, what's the one thing people think of when it's when they play Missile Command? What's it most famous for? Using the trackball. So let's remove that part. That's right. <laughs> and make yes. it joystick based so it can be worse. <laughs> now I believe that uh, this is uh, this game is also an early example of getting of of I guess what would past today as uh, what we call today either a, a freemium or in-app purchase model where <laughs> by dropping more quarters in, you get expanded functionality. Yeah, it, it reminded me of um, in an earlier show, we talked about Omega Race, and you had the mm. same option there that when you threw in your quarters, you could say, do I want to start with like spend more and start with more ships was, was one of the options. So it's the same sort of thing here. You can dunk more quarters in, so you're spending more to start the game, but then you, you have um, additional firepower, I guess. So And since when we're playing in MAME, quarters cost nothing, I'm perfectly willing to give it as many virtual quarters as it wants. <laughs> 
Now, did dropping an extra quarter in help you at all? It did not. My (laughs) scores still suck. I am terrible at this game. Now, the thing is, it's not like, oh, I'm so awesome at Missile Command, and and the fact that this plays with joystick instead of trackball is the thing that uh, is making me worse. Oh, no, I suck at Missile Command, too. Just removing the trackball seems to mean I suck an extra amount. (laughs) I'm just terrible at this sort of game where things are erratically flying down and you have to sort of aim a a cursor on the screen to make a little explosion happen where the ship is going to go. That sort of aiming seems to be my nemesis when it comes to video games. All games in that category, I am terrible at. From Missile Command all the way down, uh, just just absolutely destroys me. So um, I did typically terrible at this game. And yesterday we were going to record and I was complaining to you about how, how terrible my score was and the fact that my, my USB ports don't work on my computer at the moment so I've had to uh, jerry-rig a different means of recording. I'm hoping that this is recording at all. Who knows? <laughs> and um, uh, you are the one who told me, hey, you can throw in an extra quarter. I've got this terrible habit in MAME of launching a game and just immediately, you know, hitting, hitting a button to throw in some quarters, hitting start and just playing. I never wait to read the little instructions that come on. So I never seem to be aware of these things. I'm way too eager to start playing. So if I had read the instructions, I would have been aware that you can um, basically pay 50 cents to play instead of 25 cents and have um, uh, uh, an extra firepower ability. So you told me yesterday that that was the case. And I said, oh, well, that's really exciting. Once again, you've given me the tip that will probably let me uh, get, beat your score. But no, oh no, not this time. No such luck. No, even with the extra, the extra, <laughs> my scores actually were worse today than yesterday. So uh, yeah, your high score that you got a while ago is still vastly better than anything I've been able to achieve. I just totally suck at this game. So yeah. Uh, I wasn't. Um, I, I think I, I just got lucky a few times. Um, I found that my score was just all over the place. Sometimes mm-hmm. I couldn't break a thousand, um, and other times I did much better than that. And it, and it didn't seem to. This didn't feel like a game that that I would by just by playing for a couple of hours this this week that I would improve significantly by playing over a long period of time. I, I'm sure that's not the case, but that's just. It didn't feel like a game where where like I was constantly improving with each quarter that I dropped in. Exactly the same for me. There's a lot of games we've played where I kind of sucked at the beginning, but by the end of the week, I sucked significantly less. Like Things like <laughs> Moon Patrol and stuff like that, where I would, I would play it and I would just feel like I'm getting the rhythm down if I could just play a couple more times, and, and I, w- I would get better. I think that that is a good game design technique because the whole point of these games was to, to make money, to, to bring in quarters. So if you have a game that always makes you think, hey, if you spend... 25 more cents, you will get to see more of the game. You will do better. There'll be some sort of reward for that. It really entices extra money out of, out of the punters, right? In this case, my scores were basically random. Typically, I would get around 5,000 or so. Sometimes I would get 800. Sometimes I would get 10,000. And it really, it, it completely changed from game to game. I never felt like I was in control of this. I kept thinking, like, is there, is there supposed to be an, an extra button or an extra setting that I just don't know about? So I, I read the manual. Uh, I just, it's just that I suck. I suck at this kind of game. And there's something about the control scheme or the way it works that I just, you know, I, I would get, I would get suckered into shooting at the, the, the aliens that were way up high and then ones would sweep down below and shoot and then blast out one of my two cannons and then eventually do it again and I'd have no cannons and then you just sit there and die. Uh, just, I, I, I don't know. There must be, 
a strategy to playing this game. It probably means staying low, making sure you're defending your cannons, not getting drawn into a higher firefight, making sure that you go right away for those uh, the advisor ships that can can send a bigger bomb down that will that will take out your good stuff. I don't know. I would have this Eradicator missile that I'd pay extra for that can wipe out everything on the screen or something. I guess that's what I was paying extra for. I don't know what it really I got from Extra Quarter. <laughs> but the Eradicator missile sits on a launch pad ready to go. And it turns out that if you wait too long, they'll chip away your shield and they'll blow up your Eradicator, which will itself blow up and take out some of your colony. <laughs> so it's like, oh, well, that's disappointing. <laughs> so I don't know. I suck at this game, Mike. I really suck at this game. There are several uh, enemy ships, uh, as as you had mentioned. There's the advisor that, that flies in. Um, it appears in all squadrons. Uh, it, it's random. It, it flies around the screen randomly. It's only there for a few seconds, so you tend to get more points for shooting that one. There's one called the Cannon Bummer. Um, Why is it called a bummer? It, it, it It's called that. Like on the little little opening screen, it, it lists the names, and one of them is just called a bummer. Yes. Well, and it's called that because it flies across the top of the screen, um, and as it's it flies horizontally across the top, and as it's reaching the far end of the screen, it drops a bomb. And if you don't hit that bomb, it's going to hit one of your cannons. So it is it supposed it to be miss. called a bomber? Um, maybe. Because I just thought it's spelled it was... B-U-M-M-E-R. It is distinct. Yes. In the manual and on screen, <laughs> it is called the cannon with two ends, the cannon bummer. <laughs> well, I just figured that, that your cannon would be bummed because it got <laughs> blown up every single time. It's a total um, bummer. Now... You do have the the possibility of of you can blow up the bomb mid flight, so it's not like once it releases its bomb, you, you're done. Well, um, hypothetically, I could throw <laughs> if I can get my stinking joystick over there. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so that's that was one of the tricks for me was as soon as I saw that thing to go after it, and the other trick that I found that sort of improved my score a little bit was that once the fighters, those are the the main, uh, I guess, cannon fodder. Uh, of the enemy squadrons, they're, they're the ones you see the most of, and they sort of make semi-random patterns across the screen. And eventually, they'll drop down to the bottom and just make a horizontal run across your colony and drop drop bombs, and it'll they will also hit your cannon. Um, so when they drop down, you need to hit them immediately, too, because that's where they do the most damage, is at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, when they're doing that strafing run, because they're they're going to drop a whole bunch of shots, they start in one of, I guess, three positions or so, so there's like a one-third chance it's going to take out one of your one of your uh, cannon shooting things, so it's really important to get them in those strafing runs. Yeah, that's why I kind of try to stay near the bottom, but I have no tips, because my score sucked. I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> in this game. So, it is important to protect your colony, because you do get bonus points for, for each build that survives the squadron attacks with each squadron attack come you get you you fight 30 enemy ships uh, and there's a little counter at the top that tells you how you're doing <laughs> it just says the word poorly <laughs> <laughs> yes no it, it tells you how many you have left to destroy and i don't know that there's much more to the game i mean i think once you move to the next level they, they get they get a little faster but but it really um, is, I, I guess, the same the same sort of thing over and over again. It's not like a right. game, like, say, Donkey Kong, where you've got different levels that are distinctly different from each other that repeat through. This is sort of, you know, you, you see what the game is on level one, and it's just that harder as you go forward. And you sort right. of see how far you can get. Right. So it's very repetitive, and it's very derivative. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that this game did not do well um, in the arcades, even with the, the in-app purchase model that it, that it uh, employed. Uh, it was recently re-released by Sega on their game compilation title Legends, and apparently there's a homebrew version of Colony 7 for the Atari 2600 that Atari Age released in 2008. 
Oh, that's pretty cool that somebody did a homebrew version. Yeah, and other than that, there's there's not um, there are no other clones. There was a version of you know those little uh, plug and play all in one controller things you can get that plug into your yes. TV, mm-hmm. and they're just like basically a joystick, and they have some games embedded in it. There's yeah, one of those that has this in it. The Space oh, Invaders really? set has Space Invaders, of course, and also Kicks, Lunar Rescue, Phoenix, and Colony Seven. Yep, I don't have that one. I've got that one. Um, oh, wait, no. I'm sorry, I've got that one on my screen, is what I meant. <laughs> I don't have that one in real life either. Well, of that list, though, when you look at Space Invaders, Kicks, Lunar Rescue, Phoenix, and Colony 7, uh, I would place Colony 7 at the bottom of that list. <laughs> <laughs> I would argue over the uh, the placement of the rest of them. But Colony 7, to me, just it just didn't grab me. It seemed like one of those games... Like back in the 80s, you'd, you'd go to places, you know, everywhere had arcade games. You'd go do laundry and it has arcade games. You're hanging out, like every grocery store had arcade games. Every, every corner shop, every, you go to the tailor, they'd have an arcade game in the corner. It was just, it was a feature of the early 80s. Colony 7 feels like one of those games that would be in a generic cabinet in the corner of a, of a grocery store and, you know, or, uh, or something like that. So your mom's out shopping and you'd get a couple of quarters to put in and just play it because it was there but it wouldn't become anybody's favorite game just uh, honestly it seems generic and derivative and i am honestly not a fan of this game yeah me either this is probably not one that i'm going to play again no um there there is a reason that i um, am looking for the specs on this and i can't seem to find them um i missed a piece of feedback and that's because i can't find it because i can't remember how he sent it to us i believe it was uh, olivier greenard who's because you're us. sick Yes, that's it. So, uh, we'll so just, we'll sick. just blame it all on that. Um, <laughs> sick in so many ways. Um, so Olivier uh, wrote in, and he basically he sort of took us to task, or took me to task, for About time yeah, for some inconsistencies in the way that we podcast. And, and what's happened? Inconsistencies. It, it's free flow jazz, man. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> so some shows, some episodes, we've been mentioning. Um, technical specifications and high scores and some we haven't. Um, and he kind of hoped that we would get more consistent about that. And I, I agree with him. I think we should, uh, in this case, I can't actually find the, the specs on, on this game. Yeah. I've um, got the manual. So technically they'd be buried in there somewhere, but it's just, um, like a scanned PDF version of the manual. So it's not searchable and right. going through the layout. Like I can't even see what chips this runs on. It's, it's, Right. I guess so generic, and Wikipedia doesn't seem to have the specs. No, it doesn't seem to be placed anywhere. So honestly, I don't think anybody's cared what this runs on. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, I can tell you about the dip switch settings. <laughs> so I got that going. There's four of those, two of which are not used. <laughs> so pretty generic dip switch settings. Um, so basically, setting whether you start with two colonies or four colonies, or two colonies or, or three colonies, and the other switch is for whether you you have a a normal bonus level, like where it kicks in at 20,000 and 40,000, or a high bonus level, basically the hard version of the game, where it would kick in at 30,000 and 50,000. Neither of those would make any difference because I can't make it to 20,000. <laughs> so, but I can't find anywhere, like, what, what does this run on? Like, what's the, what's the processor that runs, that runs it? And what sound things were there? Like, there's, yeah. I see no specs at all. Yeah, no idea. Yeah, but uh, d- just real quick to, to finish what I was saying about Olivier, um, and as far as the high scores, uh, I we talked about those when I could find them. It's a lot easier now that uh, Twin Galaxies is back online, uh, so that'll be uh, we'll, we'll be able to keep up with that more consistently. Um, and it's and speaking of Twin Galaxies and high scores, Carrington, how'd you do? Well, Twin Galaxies will not be updating their their records to really? uh, to Are you take- sure? 
me into account. Oh, oh, I'm very sure. So my score, the the highest of the high that I got was 12,475. And that barely puts you past the first level. Like I, I think two times got through the first wave of aliens. Like I, I seriously, seriously suck at this. So that's what I got. Well, you know what? That would actually put you at number six on Twin Galaxies all-time high score list because I guess nobody plays this. Thing. Not really. No. Well, if you if you take a look at it, the only high scores that they have, um, there are only eight of them listed, and they're all for Mame. So nobody's bothered to even do this on a real uh, arcade cabinet. And some of the bottom ones. Okay, so you know, are you familiar with uh, uh, Bob Murchek? That name. Uh, uh, yes. He's, he was, he's a former referee for Twin Galaxies. And he's oh, one that's of these, why. I'm like, why yeah. do I know that name? He was in he's, a documentary of some sort. Yeah, he's, he was in uh, Chasing Ghosts, and he appears, sense. I think, in King of Kong. And right. He's, he's, a, he's a, one of these, these marathon gamers that can just go 60, 80 hours uh, at a time. So when he plays a game, you expect him to get a really high score. He scored eighth on, on the high score list with a grand total of 5,400 points, which means You know why? Played, I think he probably played it once and yeah, said, this he, sucks, and walked away. He played it once and went, eh. And it looks like a lot of people did. My high score for this game was 18,900, um, which also would have put me at sixth place because fifth place is 59,550. Wow, so big jump between fifth and sixth place then. Yes, and the total high, the, the number one high score for this game is 566,975, scored by Paul McCallan on September 30th, 2007. All of these high scores have been set since 2005. Well, it kind of makes sense if they're all on MAME. So, yeah. yeah. So, but really, I guess it means if you can find an official one of these cabinets anywhere, then just stick up a video camera, play anything. You're the first <laughs> person to do it. You get the world record high score. Yeah. Maybe there's some weird collectability um, aspect to this game because no one has it because it sucks. Well, I want to head down to the arcade museum um, in, uh, or fun spot rather down in New Hampshire, I think it is. Yeah. So maybe they've got one there. They seem to have tons and tons of games. So. I'll bring a video camera, and I will make the world yes. record of the game I hate the most. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't hate this game. I just don't care about it. Well, you know what? That is the case. There's games that I've played which will sort of anger me or frustrate me or feel like yes. they're cheating or whatever. And this doesn't feel like that at all. This game does. It lays it out. says, here's the controls. The cro- controls did seem smooth. I, I, I'm a... I'm a fan of the way um, in Missile Command, when you launch up your missiles, it explodes and it makes this sort of big circle. And so you have a a blast radius. Here instead it sends out little lines that that define the same sort of circle, but it it, it doesn't feel as much like a blast thing. So you're sort of just zapping on the screen all over the place and all these little dots appear everywhere. So graphically I found it less, less appealing than Missile Command. Yeah, there's, it's just not as interesting. Um, you know, they, they went to rip off the game, and that's what they did. They, yeah. they didn't come up with anything better. And it's a real button masher. Because you, you're unlimited in your regular shot, um, I just slam on that button the whole time. Like, there's no reason to, to stop firing even for an instant. So I'm just bashing away on the fire button during the entire game. And so that feels less elegant in a sense. It just feels like, you know, you're just frantically moving the joystick to almost use it like a hose of, of an attack at things and just smashing on the fire button. So it's, it's not a pleasant feeling to play the game as well. Right. I think with Missile Command, you're limited to, to 10 missiles per station. Right. Uh, and then you're done. 
so you have to plan carefully and uh, how you're going to attack. Um, Here, there's and, no planning at all. Yeah, there's, there's no away. there's no need to to preserve your weapons. There's two versions of it: the, the full size stand up, and then the cabaret. Um, I, yeah, I just don't care. <laughs> well, yeah, it's the kind of thing where. I think it's the epitome of the generic game from the 80s. There were tons and tons and tons of these where you'd come by, and even the art on the cabinet seems to be just a Taito art on the side. So it's a generic sort of cabinet. It's a generic sort of game. It just seems like one of those ones that started getting churned out. It's it's sort of like what ended up happening on the home video games where they started just releasing everything for the Atari 2600. It didn't matter whether it was good or it was bad or whatever, like after that lawsuit. And that sort of led to the downfall of of the home arcade system for a while. This is sort of that for the stand-up games. It was just, there was that wash of, of fairly generic games that you'd find elsewhere, everywhere. And I, I think this is just one of those. It's not terrible, but it's not exciting. And I, it, it, in a sense, it's kind of dull. It's worth including MAME, I guess, if you want to pad out the number of games you have available for MAME. But frankly, I don't see me coming back and playing this game again. Well, it looks like uh, this game was released during a time when Taito was just pushing out as many crappy titles as they could. I'm at uh, the arcademuseum.com, and they list the other games that Taito made sort of during the same time period, and they're all filler games. Alpine Ski, Fitter, Frog and Spiders, Grand Champion, Marine Date, Astro Zone, Galaxy Express 999, Safari Rally, Sea Hunter, Steelworker. I mean, Steelworker, really? Wow. Um, you know, so I think, I think Taito was just cranking out titles as fast as they could, uh, you know, you figure the game's going to be popular for a month or two while people discover that, that it sucks and they hate it. But by that time, who cares? Because you've got another title out there. I think the only one of those that's at all interesting would be Sea Hunter, which I don't remember the game that much, but I remember it having an interesting cabinet. It's one of those ones where you're looking in through the little periscope thing, and it was like a red oh. and white cabinet. So it was actually hmm. kind of cool, but I can't remember the gameplay. So the gameplay may have sucked on this one. But, it's, okay. but I remember it has a really cool-looking cabinet. But everything else, I don't even know most of those games you just listed. Like, <laughs> yeah, me Completely generic. Yep. Wow. Okay. So, um, I have nothing else to say about there this game. There is nothing else that could be possibly said about this game. Honestly, well, just go play Space Invaders instead. We'll just, we'll just uh, put this in our rearview mirrors and move on to the next game. Yes. And what will that next game sound like, Mike? Well, it sounds like this, Carrington. So I think that pretty much wraps it up for this week. I wonder if, once again, nobody will possibly be able to guess the game. I think this one's going to be a little bit more popular. I think our listeners have no idea what this is. I think we fooled them completely. Are you hearing this, listeners? He's calling you stupid. <laughs> no, I'm calling you out. <laughs> Just remember which one of us likes you and which one of us doesn't. <laughs> Both of them are me. <laughs> well, thank you for podcasting me with me, sick Mike. Well, thank you for putting up with my raspy voice and my coughing and hacking. No problem. Maybe next week your voice will work, my USB ports will work, and, we'll, and, and the game will be not sucky. <laughs> no, here's hoping. <laughs> Thanks, for everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback to the show can be sent to noquarter at monsterfeet.com. And like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. Monster Feet.